0: You're listening to a sermon from Providence Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information about our church, please visit church-kc.com or come and visit on a Sunday morning. Sunday school for all ages starts at 9 a.m. and our worship begins at 1015. Thanks for listening. Well, uh, again, I want to be able to uh, take this privilege, and indeed it is a privilege to uh, break the the bread of life uh, and share the word of God with you. And today we're going to be in Matthew 20, uh, looking at a parable. Uh, One of the parables that uh, Jesus gave, uh, Jesus often used parables. It was uh, one of his favorite methods of communicating about the kingdom of God. And indeed, this parable, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, is another parable that teaches us about the kingdom of God. And as some of you may have heard in terms of a definition of parables, but they are an earthly story with a heavenly lesson. And indeed, uh, this is a story that pertains to just general life that was happening uh, back in that day and in that context and culture. And Jesus uses an event, a story, to be able to share some very important Truth. And the parable we're going to be looking at, this uh, labor in the vineyard, it's uh, basically a story of a business owner who hires several people to work different amounts of hours, but at the end of the day, they're all paid the same. Well, uh, every parable kind of has an edge to it. And uh, this one is no different and and we just think about that that whole concept of working different hours but getting paid the same that wouldn't fly today, would it? I mean, uh, we're we're living just in recent history of several strikes, right? We have the Hollywood Writers Strike, we have the Screen Actors Guild strike, we have the the United Auto Workers strike, we have Kaiser Permanente strike. They're all going on. One of them has been settled, but uh, they're all about fair wages right? Or at least their idea of fair wages. But even at that, we have misunderstanding or differences of opinion, I should say, of what fair wages are. I mean, we had to live through, right, Chris Jones and uh, Brett Veach, and are they going to come to terms on what his worth is? And they both had different opinions of what his worth is. Now, you know, when we're talking about high-paid athletes like that, that's kind of out of our world. I mean, tonight, uh, as we discuss the budget, I can guarantee you that there's not going to be a discrepancy of how many millions of dollars to pay me, because that's just not my world, you know. (laughs) But it is his world, and everybody has an opinion of what their worth is and what they deserve. But today, we're going to be talking about not what we deserve, but what God has blessed us with, and that is his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon our sin. And that's what we want to focus in on uh, today. Again, people have differences of opinion of the worth. I heard about a young man. He was fresh out of college. Uh, He was... um, Schooled in uh, accounting and he is interviewing for a job. And so during this interview, uh, the human resource person that is doing the interview comes to that question. So what uh, starting salary uh, are you thinking about? To which the, the young man fresh out of school said, well, you know, I was thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of 125000 Depending on what the benefits are. Well the interviewer said, "Well, what would you say to a package of 5 weeks vacation, full medical and dental, company retirement fund of 50% of your salary, executive share option schemes, profit related pay, and a company car, uh, let's least every 2 years, and let's say a, you know, 5 series BMW." Twist the young accountant sat straight up and he says, "Wow!" Are you kidding? (sighs) To which the interviewer said, Yes, but you started it. (laughs) So again, we all have different opinion of what's fair. What is fair? So the context here is a story that utilizes that sense of fairness, but it has a greater lesson for us to learn. So let's read the story together. Matthew twenty. 1 through 16, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Well, this parable, like most of things that Jesus would teach uh, is found in a greater context and it is giving greater explanation of what Jesus is hoping to communicate. And so what had happened prior to Jesus telling this parable was that he had an encounter with a rich young ruler. This rich young ruler came to Jesus and posed the question, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus told him in reply, well, uh, you need to follow the law. Have you obeyed the, the Ten Commandments to which the rich young ruler said, I have done that all my life. But Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Well, that was too big of an ask for this rich young ruler and he goes away and does not follow Jesus. The disciples of course were with Jesus and during that encounter and they make this observation and it is Peter then who comes before the Lord and he said, Lord, we have left everything for you. So what will there be for us? And Jesus, promised them that they would be well rewarded. He wanted them to know their faithfulness would be rewarded. But he ends that encounter with the rich young ruler and teaching the disciples with this statement. He said, the first will be last and the last will be first. He uses this statement again in this parable that we've read. So it's something that we need to pay attention to. So as we see this parable, we hear it. What Jesus has said. Some things we just want to note as we kind of walk through it to help us finally get to some application. So we read that there is an owner, a vineyard, of a vineyard, and he uh, is is coming up on harvest time, and he realizes that he needs more laborers. He already had some folks, as we know, because there was a foreman. Uh, that were hired to help him with this vineyard but at harvest time he needed more people that are there in the fields to accomplish the harvest in a timely fashion. We get that. We are, you know, close enough to rule America and we have farmers even today that uh, they're out harvesting now. uh, Harvesting the corn and the soybeans and whatever else it may have been that they're growing. So we get the idea it's still happening today. He needed extra workers. But unlike having an employment agencies like we do today, what would happen is that people would gather in the marketplace. And these were day laborers. These, these men who were hired, they were unskilled at any trade. They were really close to the bottom of the social economic scale. In fact, many of them just lived just above uh, the lifestyle of a beggar. They would work from job to job. Most of the time those jobs would only last a day, but they would show up hoping somebody would come and hire them. I've actually seen that in, in America whenever we went to uh, New Orleans uh, after Hurricane Katrina and we were there serving uh, and helping with the rebuild. Uh, I remember passing by uh, parking lots and there would be several men out there and they were doing the same thing. They were hoping that somebody would come and and hire them. I've also seen that in Nicaragua which, uh, by the way, that's where my wife is today, Ginger. She's in Nicaragua with our daughter and I'm gonna go join her on uh, Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to that. But anyway, these uh, men were out there who were being hired. Uh, The landowner comes and he uh, comes early. Six o'clock in the morning and he negotiates with the workers that were there a wage that he would pay them a denarius if they would come out and harvest his vineyard for that day. Now it's always uh, a challenge to try to figure out just how much a denarius or a talent or some other uh, monetary scheme that we find in, in scriptures but most uh, scholars would say that it uh, is around $180 to $200 uh, today, in, in today's a, a economy. So it's not bad, but uh, it was uh, $200 for 12 hours. So they had long hours. You know, we, we work eight and then it's overtime at past that. But uh, 12 hours was pretty common for that, that day. And uh, by the way, it was also about the same wage of a Roman soldier. So it was quite generous what the, the landowner was uh, offering them. And so they go. They negotiated the wage. They agree to it. They go out into the fields. But the landowner realizes that if they're going to get the harvest done that day, they needed more, he needed more workers. So he goes back. The Bible tells us they go back the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, we're talking nine o'clock, noon, three o'clock, and then finally he goes and at the eleventh hour, which is five o'clock, to hire even more, to get the work done. But I want you to notice that there is a difference in what the landowner negotiated with the first workers and those that came later. The first workers, he said, I will pay you a denarius for 12 hours. They thought that was generous. They agreed. They went out to work. With everybody else, he said, I, the landowner, would tell them, I will pay you what is right. So if we're looking at it, there are two groups of workers, those who were hired and negotiated a wage and those who went out without a contract, if you will. They were depending upon the goodness of the master. So at this point in the story, it's a happy story. The laborers are hired. There's an abundant and sufficient amount of people to get the job done. So a happy ending seems certain, right? Well... It's at this point in the parable that there is a dramatic turn. So at the end of the day, the owner says to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first, which is typically the reverse order. Usually those who are hired first will get paid first, they they move on, and those who are hired last are paid then, last. Again, Jesus is saying the first will be last and the last will be first. So, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour, that is about 5 o'clock, came and each received, guess what? A denarius. So, if you were one of those uh, persons who were hired at 6 o'clock in the morning, you saw that the guy that was hired at 5 o'clock gets a denarius. What are you thinking? Same thought they're were thinking. We're going to get more. If they get a denarius for one hour, oh my, we are going to be blessed. But what happens? They are paid a denarius. Same amount for working 12 hours as the person who worked one hour. So they complain. And honestly, we get it, right? We do, we get it. And so they uh, began to grumble, verse 11 and 12. They began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So we see that their attitudes head south very quickly with a vengeance. We can sympathize again with them, we understand their complaint, their joy had turned to anger as they realized that what they had received was the same as those who had only worked an hour. And so they were determined to leave satisfied and they make their complaint to the owner. but. Again, as we've said, many times the parables that Jesus would speak would have an element of shock. And it's for that purpose that he wants us to get to the point. What is the point that he is wanting us to see? So the difficulty with this parable is that, again, we live in a day of unions and fair wage laws. And so we understand that if this were to happen today... It would not fly. And by the way, it's just bad business. Because you go back the next day, how many people are going to work for you? You're not going to have too many people working for you. Bad business. So let me uh, just also just kind of pause and, and just help you to understand Jesus is not advocating unfair wages. All right? So if that's, you know, what you're... Wrestling with, which I, I can understand, Jesus is not advocating for unfair wages. He's trying to make a point. In fact, Jesus said elsewhere, Luke 10 7, that a laborer deserves his wages. So he did advocate fair wages. We also see James in James chapter 5, verse 4, he says, Look, The wages that you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Almighty. So we can rest assured that God knows when we are not being paid what we deserve. So again, Jesus is not advocating unfair wages. He's trying to make a point and get our attention. And I think he does a pretty good job of that, right? So, everybody thinks that what has happened so far is unfair in this parable. But the owner has the last word. We see that in verses 13 and 15. But he answered one of them after he received the complaint. He says, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I choose To give the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I choose with my own money? Or are you begrudging my generosity? That's the point. Generosity. The story so far has been one that has challenged our sense of fairness. But what Jesus is wanting us to get is the point of generosity, or to say it another way, grace. Grace. So before we get there, again, let's remind ourselves that at 6 o'clock that morning, when the owner came and negotiated with these workers, he said, I'll pay you a denarius for the day. They agreed to it. They thought that was a great deal. And so they go and they work, and at the end of the day, the owner kept his word. What they negotiated Is what he did. So the first group, those hired first, received justice. They received what was fair and just. Every group thereafter received mercy and grace. But those who received justice complained that they were victims of injustice. That the owner was not fair. But the owner points out, I was fair. This is what we agreed to. So I'm not treating you unjustly. In fact, I'm treating you justly. But it's mine to choose what I do with my wealth. And if I want to bless and be gracious... I can choose to be gracious. So it was completely his to choose. By the way, the landowner is not just interested in harvest. He's interested in the unemployed and blessing those who are without. But Jesus brings this parable to an appropriate end in verse 16. And he says, so the last will be first and the first will will be last things are often opposite of what we expect so here's what we need to understand this is not a parable about grapes this is a parable about grace it's not about fair wages it's about the mercy and the sovereignty of God You know, sometimes grace has an edge to it. Don't always think of it that way, but it is whenever we are bent on only justice. Grace has an edge to it. Grace is not the way that we normally do things. If we're honest, we have to admit that grace sometimes disturbs us because we hold so tight to fairness and justice. Now, justice is good. We're not saying that's a bad thing. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, it's about his grace. It's about his grace. So let's take a look at some of the applications that we can make from this parable. First is that grace reminds us that God's favor is a gift. It's not earned. It's a gift. We need to remember the problem here is not injustice because there is no injustice in this parable. It's about grace. It's about the scandal of grace. The scandal in the sense that he is generous to some, but not everyone. Many of us can identify with the employees who would put uh, all the work and hours and the sweat and the heat of the day, but let's not miss the point of the story. God dispenses gifts not wages. One of the most harmful sins that we can commit is taking God's grace for granted. I like what John MacArthur has to say. He says, the charge of unfairness was not grounded in a love for justice but in a selfish assumption that the extra pay they wanted was the pay that they deserved. Did the laborers who were initially hired deserve more? No. They received what they had negotiated. They did not merit more. They received what they had agreed to. They did not merit or deserve more than what they negotiated. So When it comes to salvation, there's no such thing as merit. Right? We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't. God's grace is granted according to his good pleasure. He chooses to do that. Let me remind you that if it's wages that you want, The Bible is clear that our salary is already figured out for us. Paul would write in Romans 6.23, and he would spell out what we deserve to be paid. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. If that's what we want, justice, then that is what will be paid out. I like what William Temple, a theologian, pastor years ago, he said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. (laughs) And the wages of sin is death. But if we want to receive what God wants to freely give us, then the last part of what Paul wrote in Romans 6.23 should pique our attention. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's wages and there's grace. And Jesus is teaching us the principle of grace in this parable. We can never place God under obligation to do something for us because we've done something for him. We must give up any thought that we have any claims on God. So let me give you an assignment. Take out some paper and pencil or pen, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down everything God owes you. How long do you think it would take? Not very long. God reminded Moses, Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's grace is not on demand. It's not. So here's the second assignment that I will give you since we know how long it would take to do the first assignment. The second assignment is this. Go home. Get out your paper and pen and pencil and then write down everything that you owe God. There's not enough time left to write down all the things that we owe God. He is gracious and merciful. Christianity Kingdom of God supremely about grace. But grace is not always well understood, not often believed. We use the word a lot, we sing about it a lot, but we often struggle to embrace its fullness. I like what uh, Philip Yancey had to say. I, I love those theologians who, you know, spend a lot of time focused on you know a theme and he wrote a book called what's so amazing about grace and in that book he writes this grace is scandalous it's hard to accept hard to believe and hard to receive grace shocks us in what it offers it is truly not of this world it frightens us with what it does for sinners Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. We would say the not so bad. God starts with the prostitutes and then works downward from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who don't deserve it, barely recognize it and hardly appreciate it. That's why God alone gets the glory in your salvation. Jesus did all the work when he died on the cross. In the end, grace means that no one is too bad to be saved. God specializes in saving really bad people. (sighs) Do you have some things in your background that you would be ashamed to talk about in public? Fear not. God knows all about it, and his grace is greater than your sin. Grace also means that some people may be too good to be saved. That is, that they may have such a high opinion of themselves that they think they don't need God's grace. God's grace cannot help you until you are desperate enough to receive it. God's favor, God's grace, is a gift. A gift that he has the right to choose to give, to bless you with. So let me mention two truths that can radically, hopefully, transform your thinking and the way you live. Number one, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. That's our problem. As we're always trying to impress God, you can love me more. And that cannot happen. God loves you sufficiently. But here's the second truth. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. God's love is eternal. It's always there. It it can never be lessened. He cannot love you less. He loves you with an incredibly eternal love. And like a gift, the only thing that we can do with grace is receive it. Receive it gratefully. So how do we find God's grace? Simply it is given to us, and when we find it, discover it, we receive it. We receive it. It's that simple. The more that you feel your need for grace, the better candidate you are to receive it. So hold out your empty hands and ask God for his grace. You will not be turned away. And by the way, it's never too late. I love the prophet Isaiah when he wrote, Though your sins are scarlet, God says they will be white as snow. Why? His grace. His grace. You know, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a contest to see who was most deserving of God's grace. I'm not going to be. I'm not sure if there's going to be a contest, but if there is. There may be this contest. That is, a contest of who can sing the loudest and most bold, boldly amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now am found was blind but now i see that's the miracle the wonder and in this parable the shock and the scandal of god's grace truly is, as Yancey said, out of this world. So here's the good news for sinners. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon the stain within. Free grace, God's grace. We should shout it, we should sing it, we should tell it, and we should share it. And above all else, believe it. And in believing You'll be saved. We are saved through faith, by grace, through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today recipients of your grace. Grace that we know very well is undeserved. Lord, we are thankful that your love for us is so immense and indeed eternal that we can appreciate and believe and embrace the hope that you provide because of your graciousness towards us. Thank you for being merciful today we realize just how deeply we need your mercy. We are thankful for Jesus who came to bear the wage of our sin on the cross. And in that satisfied your justice so that you could be merciful and gracious towards us. And Lord, you have shared with us in your word that your love for us was demonstrated in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And his death has affected, on our behalf, your justice and now your extension of mercy. And you have given us the hope and the promise that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. This hope and this truth only comes about because of your mercy and grace towards us. Lord, I pray that anyone is here among us who is yet to embrace and receive your grace, that today would be the day they would come and take that step of faith and find the joy of receiving your mercy through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So as we stand, as we sing, this is your opportunity to respond to the Lord and his offer of grace for you today. You come.